Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, hello, and welcome. I'm Chris, the pastor at Compass, and thank you so much for connecting with me today. I'm really glad that you are here. Now, I want to start by asking you a birthday question. Now, imagine you have a friend named Joe who's a plumber, and Joe is turning 30 this week. What gift do you get for your friend, Joe the plumber, for his birthday? I'll give you a second to think about it. What is a good gift for a plumber? Now, maybe you thought that a brand new high-end plunger would just be a great gift. You know, like a plunger that really unclogs those difficult pipes. Or maybe a a funny t-shirt about plumbing is the way to go, like this. Get it? It's a trap under the sink? Anyway, or, or maybe you get him a funny mug that says, it's about to go down with an image of a plunger on it. I mean, it's kind of gross, but it's also cute, right? Well, actually, all of those answers are wrong because Joe just really loves playing disc golf. And what he really wants is a new bag to carry his discs in. You see, just because Joe is a plumber doesn't mean that he doesn't have other interests and only wants plumbing stuff for his birthday. I mean, come on. Now you might be like, that's not fair, Chris. You asked us a question, but you only gave us limited information. All we knew about Joe was that he was a plumber. And that's true. But it also highlights something. The less you know someone, or the less you know about someone, the harder it is to understand what they want. Take me, I'm a pastor, and I love the Bible, but I don't want another Bible for my birthday. I mean, I got three kids who I love dearly, but that doesn't mean I want any more kids. For my birthday, get me something with Mickey Mouse on it or a new sci-fi or fantasy novel. In fact, one of the most thoughtful gifts that I've gotten lately was from Danielle and T. Kale, and they got me a package of Chinese Five Spice from Bloomington Spice Works here in town because I enjoy cooking Asian food and I hadn't had a chance to use it yet. And the reason they could surprise me with something that I really wanted was because they know me. At least they know me more than just what I do for a job as a pastor, which is why they got me spices instead of a new Bible. To understand what a person really wants, we have to really know them. We have to know what they like, what they don't like. We have to know what motivates them, what they care about, We also need to understand how they feel about things. This is true of every relationship, but it's also true in our relationship with God. I mean, look at this, John 17, 3. It says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So according to Jesus, in his words, the way we experience the eternal life of God, which is not just a a quantity of life someday, but a quality of life that we experience right now, the only way we experience that eternal life is to know God, specifically to know him by knowing Jesus, which raises a question. What gift would you get God for his birthday? Now, I know that's kind of a silly question because God already has everything or he could just make it. But at the heart of that question is the reality that to understand what God wants We have to know him. And to know God, we have to understand what motivates him, how he feels about things. 
Because understanding how God really feels is the only way to really know him. And knowing him is the only way to really follow him, to experience him. And to explore this today, we're going to take a look at an event in the life of Jesus that might be really easy for people to pass by if they were just reading it. And so we're going to start in Matthew 14, verse 12. It says, Later John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Now, this is a passage that we talked about last week in the first week of this message series. You see, John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, he'd been killed. And John's followers came to let Jesus know what had happened. Now, John was Jesus's age. They grew up together. I mean, they were probably closer to brothers than they were cousins. And John had been brutally killed by the ruler of the region that both John and Jesus lived in. And in response to hearing this news, Jesus felt what any of us would have. Grief. Sadness. As soon as he heard the news about John's death, he got into a boat all by himself and went to a remote area where he could grieve alone. The story continues in verse 13. But the crowds heard where he was headed. And they followed on foot from many towns. So this is just a verse and a half of this story. And they're so short that we could easily miss what's happening here. Okay, let me back up. Someone from Jesus's family had died and he was devastated. And so Jesus took the day off and he went to be alone to process his cousin's death. But what did the crowds of people who wanted something from Jesus do? Well, they figured out where he was going and they followed him there. Jesus went off to mourn alone and the crowds chased him down like a paparazzi looking for a picture of a celebrity. Now, what would you do if you were in Jesus's shoes? I know what I would do. I would, I'd turn my phone off. I'd close my email. I'd ignore the doorbell because I need a minute for me, right? I mean, I experienced something painful and I need a mental health day to process it and to figure things out. I mean, I don't even check email or answer messages when I'm on vacation. So how much more do I need time and space if I've lost someone who I dearly and deeply loved? So Jesus, he, he took his day off. He took his mental health day. But the crowds kept pestering him. They followed him. The story continues in verse 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So again, if this were me, at my best, I would probably retreat more to try and get away from everyone. And at my worst, I might go off on some people for being rude and disrespectful. And I would have every right to. No one would fault me for being motivated by my grief to just get away from everything. But that's not what Jesus did. When he saw the huge crowd, he didn't try to escape and get some privacy. He didn't correct them and send them away when he had every right to. Instead, Jesus stepped out of the boat and he started caring for them, healing their sick. Now, you might look at this and say, I get it. I mean, if it were me, I might feel guilty and obligated to help the people, you know, I I'd feel bad if I didn't, and I wouldn't want to disappoint anybody. Or maybe, maybe you're a little more cynical. You might help people because 
you have a reputation and a ministry to protect. And even if dealing with all these people is the last thing you want to do, you would do it just to keep your customers happy. And each of those motivations makes sense. But let's look again at what actually motivated Jesus to care for people in the middle of his fresh and painful grief. Again, Matthew 14, 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus had compassion on them. Or maybe a better way to put it is to say that Jesus felt compassion. And and the emotion, the feeling of compassion that he experienced was so powerful that he put aside his own grief and sadness. He put aside his own needs to care for those who couldn't care for themselves. In this story, this one key thing becomes super clear. It's that Jesus was moved and motivated by compassion. We see this same emotion expressed by Jesus in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw people who were confused and helpless, lost, hurting, he felt compassion. And that compassion moved him to act even when he had his own stuff to deal with, even when he was grieving and in pain of his own. Compassion motivated Jesus to act for the good of others. Now, I know that this sounds like such an obvious thing, that that Jesus loved people and had compassion on them. Like, that's Church 101, right? But I want us to really stop and grasp the emotional complexity of this. Jesus was deeply in the grip of sadness over the loss of a loved one. So much so that he stopped what he was doing and just left. But in spite of his grief, when he saw the crowds, there was another powerful emotion that he felt that caused him to act. Compassion. Did you know that in all four of the Gospels, there are only two specific accounts of Jesus crying. Now, I'm sure Jesus cried more than twice in his life, but there were only two times that the gospel writers thought that it was important enough to share with their audience that Jesus wept. We talked about the first time last week when Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And that time was when he felt grief at the loss of a dear friend. But what about the second time Jesus wept? Well, we see it in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like when Jesus felt compassion when he saw the confused and helpless crowds, like sheep without a shepherd. I think it's interesting that the two times that Jesus is mentioned to have wept in the gospel accounts were when he felt grief and when he felt compassion. Two powerful emotions that are intertwined in the story we're looking at today. And we explored the grief of God last week, but perhaps we underestimate the compassion of God. 
Maybe we underestimate the compassion of God that would cause Jesus to put his own inner turmoil and his own needs aside in order to care for the needs of others. The same compassion that led him to the cross, where he would ultimately deal with the sin and evil that has so damaged creation and that has hurt the people that he cares so deeply about. Jesus was motivated by compassion. So why does this matter? Why why is understanding the compassion of Jesus so important? Because, remember, to understand what a person really wants, we have to really know them. We have to know what they like, what they don't like, what motivates them, what they care about. We need to understand how they feel about things. And Jesus felt compassion for people. Everything Jesus did was touched by and motivated by compassion. It's an emotion that is foundational to who he is and everything he does. And knowing what God feels, what motivates him, it helps us to understand both who he is and what he wants from us. So we know that God feels compassion deeply and that he's motivated by that emotion. But, but I don't, I don't want to just leave you with an abstract idea about God. So I have two takeaways, two things that we can do in response to understanding the compassion of God. And the first thing that we can do in response to this is is show others the compassion of God. Jesus sums it up himself in Luke 6.36. He says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. God wants us to experience life in him, which comes from being like him and living like him. And knowing that God deeply feels the emotion of compassion, it allows us to know and understand him more. It also helps us to understand what he wants from us. And God wants us to be motivated by compassion, just like he is. He wants us to be compassionate towards others, just like Jesus was, to let it be one of the key driving emotions in our lives that guides everything that we do, everything we think and believe. So the first thing we can do in response to knowing that God is a God of compassion is to show others the compassion of God. And the second thing that we can do is filter the practice of your faith through the compassion of God. So if the first takeaway is to do what God does, then this one would be to see as God sees. Let me explain. When my kids were little, we gave them swimming lessons. I thought it was important that they know how to swim. So it was something that they had to do. It was a rule. You have to learn how to swim if you're one of my kids. Now, there are probably lots of reasons that people give their kids swimming lessons. Some people may want their kids to be on the swim team, or maybe some parents really enjoy swimming and they want their kids to enjoy it as well. My reason wasn't either of those. My reason was that I didn't want my kids to drown. I knew that they were going to be in situations around water and and around swimming pools. And I wanted my kids to be able to swim in case something happened. I honestly didn't really care whether or not they had fun or if they went water skiing or any of that other stuff. I just wanted my kids to be safe around water because I love them. Now, if I became a cult leader and someone someday built a religion around my life and my values, they would probably create a doctrine of swimming, a religious rule that says everyone must know how to swim. And why? Because that's what Chris wanted. 
Therefore, being able to swim is right and not being able to swim is wrong. Swimmers are righteous and non-swimmers are unrighteous. It's black and white. And while the religion of Chris, Christianity, I don't know. While my religion might have gotten the letter of my family rule right, they completely missed the why. See, I want my kids to swim because I want them to be safe because I love them. It's not about strict obedience to my arbitrary swimming whims, but it's about love because for me, swim lessons are motivated by love. And it's the same with God. Everything he wants for us, everything he asks of us is motivated and touched by his compassion because he loves us. All of Jesus' instructions on how we interact with each other, on money and generosity, on sexual ethics, on holiness, they're not motivated by his desire for our strict obedience. They're motivated by love and compassion. And, And when we filter the practice of our faith through the compassion of God, we can see that he isn't just forcing arbitrary rules on us, but he's trying to guide us into a life that's best for us because he has compassion because he loves us. Because the compassion of God is behind everything that he does. And when you understand that God's guidance is set out because he loves us, it then gives us a proper framework to understand our faith and how we can properly live it out. You see, God is not a math problem to be solved. He's not a puzzle to be put together or a character from a textbook to be quizzed on. God is a person to be known. He's a person with feelings, motivations, and desires. And I hope that by understanding the compassion of God, that you know him a little bit better now that you understand what drives him and that you can see the why behind the what he is doing in our world and and the what he asks of us. And in seeing the compassion of God, my prayer is that we are able to show others the compassion of God, even when it's hard, even when we're struggling ourselves, even like Jesus, when we're balancing our own grief. May we be compassionate like he was. And may the practice of our faith not just be seen as obedience to a system of religious rules, but may our faith be a willing trust in a God who we know has compassion on us, who loves us and who wants us to experience eternal life, who wants us to experience the best life in him. So what would you get God for his birthday? My prayer is that by knowing him better, that you would give him the gift of trusting in his compassion for you and give him the gift of showing his compassion to others. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 